Howdy, listeners. My name's Peter, and I've got a cold. And you are listening to V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I'm here with my co-host. Yes, Joseph, that's my name. I'm I'm Peter's co-host, and I'm really sorry about this cold, Peter. Yeah, fucking sucks. Well, I'm sorry you got put I'm sorry you got put in Facebook jail, Joe. Yeah, I did. I got put in Facebook jail the day I usually like, you know, throw the podcast links out everywhere and shill to maximum volume. It's hard to do that when you're in Facebook jail. Can I use my psychology degree to tell you what happened and why you are in Facebook jail? Please do. You're a susceptible personality type, Joe, and it's susceptible to the kind of personality that a Delta Quadrant bad boy like Tom Paris, who just last week got himself thrown in the pokey. Uh, and you're emulating yeah. your heroes and uh, yeah. getting yourself into your own Delta Quadrant jail. Yeah, sometimes when you when you live the troll life, you got to pay the <laughs> troll price. It's the troll toll, uh, actually. The troll toll, if you will. Uh, while this might not be an always sunny uh, podcast, any reference that we can make to it, I support. But it is what it is. Hopefully people still heard about, you know, the fact that we did an episode and all of that. And and uh, I'll get out of Facebook jail eventually, I'm sure. But we've been busybodies. We have. We've done a lot of content lately. We got episodes every week. We did our, our live cast on Monday. How'd you feel about that? I certainly enjoyed exploring in-depth topics with you. I certainly hope that we can grow the folks interested in it. Um, we, we had more participation this time, but didn't quite crack that double digits of active uh, live listeners. But it is someday. Aspirations. I have aspirations. Well, I'll tell you, you know, to those people out there who are listening and, and hopefully you guys caught uh, the recap, it was very generous of Joe to release that in the middle of the week and not actually as a replacement for tonight's episode. But uh, yeah, you know, we have a good time. We've got a invested crowd. And like Joe just said, it's small. So if you want your voice heard, you know, pop in that chat room while we're doing those things and uh, you will get your comments read and discussed and input taken. And it's a it's a fun community builder. I know I appreciated it. I had fun. I don't know if I like having a webcam on my face. It's hard not to like <laughs> rub your nose or, you know, look like a hobo and do hobo things while the camera's on you. I will say that. uh I saw myself on that camera and I immediately recognized that I needed a haircut. And I was like, fuck, now everyone's going to be looking at this, yeah. looking at my my ridiculously overgrown hair. I think you're a little self-conscious, but uh, uh, allowed for allowed for some fun addition of my wife into the conversation, particularly when we started getting into fan fiction. Man, that took some dark turns on the Vigors Please support group as we discussed that. I've already tried to scrub all of that from my memory. I am not so lucky, Peter. Uh, but speaking of things that you might want to scrub from your memory, did you know that we just watched uh, uh, Season 2, Episode 19, Investigations? It's Episode 20, I thought. Ah, shit. See, I don't ever do that part. Fuck. You're right. It's Episode 20. You will not be employed by the Neelix News Agency. You have a bad reporting style. Fa- false news. Fake news. Yeah, fake, fake news. I fake, new- I fake news to you. I'm sorry, podcast listeners. I'm so sorry. Well, I got a news flash for you, Joe. Oh, fuck. Breaking news. I love the shit out of this episode. Oh, fuck you. No way. Yeah, I I love this episode. I don't... I maybe, maybe I hit my head 
on a ledge or something and now I've gone dumb or maybe I have transferred into a different dimension uh, of people who suck less than I do. But I, I just think you're going native, bro. Like ever since you saw these guys for real at, at Dragon Con, you've been like, oh, maybe Harry Kim isn't so bad. I really like it. I'm star. I like Neelix. Like, oh, what? No, I, I think it's just that I've I've seen how deep the well of ass goes and it's making me really just i don't watch a lot of tv in the summer right it's too nice outside i got stuff i need to do i got a house that needs stuff fixed landmark day for me man was uh last was two nights ago i finally set up my real computer and i played heroes of the storm until 2 a.m and then i paid the fucking piper in the morning when i was tired as hell for work uh but I'm, i'm a busy guy staying up late playing video games but we don't really watch tvs i'm I'm watching uh better call saul here and there but uh winners when i get most of my big tv watching and so the only real thing i'm watching on a regular basis is voyager and i think i'm just calibrating to the voyager scale you've uh you've got stockholm syndrome you've voyager stockholm syndrome those those terrible dark moments have touched you so deeply that when it's just enjoyably bad, which is what I would call this episode, it was enjoyable. I I had a good time watching it, and it was also bad. You're like, oh, that was great. I love it. When it really wasn't actually good. And hopefully by the end of this, I can shake you out of your Stockholm Syndrome, and you can see it for what it is, which was the best kind of Voyager episode. Stupid, but still fun. When you're trapped in a in a dumpster fire right and there is like old chicken nugget grease and cat litter and fire in your face and on your eyeballs correct you know what Mm -hmm. just uh just sitting in a basement and looking at a blank wall that's good (laughs) getting getting spit on (laughs) and maybe uh i don't know someone drawing on your favorite shirt with a with a chisel tip marker it's still not having your skin burning off that's good <laughs> right so well, i think good does describe this episode um because the alternatives and i haven't even watched threshold yet so who knows i mean it, this might be the best show ever once once i get threshold in the mix but uh speaking of dumpster fires i i do want to start us off because you know the thing where i pause and see the first thing that comes up you've got this robocop heads up display view again and there's neelix Mm -hmm. in his Mm -hmm. hobo kitchen oh yeah and it is literally two trash cans they look like city (laughs) city bus stop trash cans that are like the steel cage that they put the plastic insert into and there's like uh paper towel rolls hanging off of them and that's what he's making food in yeah, it's the worst fire hazard ever. I mean, all of our hobo kitchen fucking jokes aside, this is real fucking dangerous looking. These are some really big flames out in the middle of nowhere. And what we find out is that Neelix is shooting a homeroom, you know, newscast style show for Voyager. Straight out of the second grade. I don't want to move on from these dumpsters yet because it just occurred to me. These dumpsters that he his his little quote unquote cooking apparatus they're taller than he is. I want you to think about how the ship shakes and shudders every time, you know, it flies into a space baby or someone hits it with a phaser. Like these things are just like Jenga towers of fire and destruction waiting to collapse. 
it's absolutely begging for the entire deck to to have to activate its fire suppression system. It's it was never built for this, as we remember. This was the captain's private mess. Ah, oh, God, it's just so bad. Of course, no gloves. While doing food preparation, did you check that apron out? I did. He's had that on before. Oh, this is the first time I've noticed that. Right at crotch level, there is a long blue oblong with a black dot where his pee hole should be. (laughs) Go back. We might have to get a screenshot and throw it up in the group, but there's totally just a blue dick in the middle of his rancid ass. What if if it's not actually an apron and it's like some sort of strange Talaxian sex garment? Like it's something that he wears for his fertilization rituals. And... Now, if you if you eat his nasty space chili, you're going to be pregnant with with space cats. This is a fucking unknown goddamn alien race. That could be how he does it. Creepy sex rituals into your food. Skeet, skeet, skeet. But like you're saying, he's setting up a uh, new like homeroom, high school homeroom. They turn on the TV first thing in the morning and there's the vice president or principal or, you know, some some student anchor who is going to walk you through the day. And it's going to be a mixture of legit news and shipboard operations and Janeway doing some PR work to explain herself to the crew as to why they're continuing to suffer when she could have just had Q whisk her away to safety. Um, But then he's also going to spice it up with uh, juggling acts, um, cooking tips and spreading romantic rumors about people on the ship, which I'm sure will not cause any drama whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's some public access shit at best and it's like perfect for snarf snarf because it's like the exact kind of stupid yet mindless entertainment you would expect out of him we don't ever get to see the juggler it cuts to a quick shot of neelix having watching himself with the doctor trying to convince him to recruit him to be a a a fixture on the show which i guess we'll call that the b plot (laughs) the doctor essentially has these comedic bits where he continually cuts in and tries to interrupt Neelix for the rest of the episode explaining the latest boring medical thing that he wants to explain to the crew. Have you ever worked with someone like the doctor? Yes. I have one guy that I worked with in my past that every time the doctor's on, like all of the doctor's worst traits remind me of this guy. And it's very unnerving because this person was very uncomfortable to work with. It's like he just didn't have a connection to humanity and like very basic social cues would go right over this guy's head and he would get kind of like very aggressive and borderline hostile as he would just ram into these social walls. And I thought this episode did a good job of touching on, you know, kind of running its finger along the perimeter of the doctor's like, like his fence, just to remind you, like, by the way, this is AI. And even though he looks human and acts human, like at the end of the day, he's still programming and he has these limitations and as he enters complex social situations he was not really designed to handle it's going to get uncomfortable uh and and potent i mean this would have been almost a good episode for him to like go homicidal and start killing people like that level of simple misunderstanding escalating over the course of the episode i think it pairs well with what we just watched that you know how remember how he awkwardly explains to dr pell oh by the way i am romantically interested in you and would like to know if you would like to pursue this exactly Please check yrn exactly and and how he took that rejection i mean they played it soft but i mean it could have been an ugly ai you know moment so 
this intro is very long too. I think this might have been the longest intro I've ever seen uh on the show. Yeah, it's definitely a lot before they actually get to credits, uh, including the biggest, highest powered cameo that we will ever see on Star Trek, period. The biggest deal ever as a cameo on Star Trek. Did you catch it? Did you see it? I, I didn't see the rock in there. Uh, you're talking, of course, about the Prince of Jordan. No, oh, he was the Prince of Jordan then. Motherfuckers, the King of Jordan now. This episode specifically was discussed at that panel by uh, Garrett Wang. What a big deal this was. The ridiculous amounts of security on the set. Uh, there was a cast party that the prince threw after the episode wrapped where they rented out the entire Hard Rock Hollywood. I guess uh, Garrett Wang had befriended the prince and was like kind of helping him through, you know, how do you just be background filler Star Trek guy? Because that's what Kim is most of the time. And while they were at the Hard Rock and talking, Garrett Wang just kind of forgets where he's at and who he's talking to. Because it's just this dude he's been, you know, palling around with for a week and said, uh, whatever the guy's first name is, it's, um, Ab oh, it's Abdullah, right? Correct. Instead of saying Prince, you're whatever. He's just like, uh, by the way, Abdullah and the big pile of muscles security detail who turned out to be like a general for Jordan, like <laughs> snatches him off to the side and gets him in some sort of like arm bar torture lock and like really cranks it in hard and is like, you will never speak to him by his first name. It will be his majesty, your grace or the crown prince, like goes through like all the official things that Garrett Wayne's like, oh, Jesus. Yes, you are right. How foolish of me. And then he went on to tell a story about how they all got invited off to, you know, Robert Picardo and uh, Ethan Phillips and Elix end up getting invited off to Jordan and Garrett Wang, who had pioneered this friendship, gets left in the dust. <laughs> oh, poor Garrett Wang. That's a great story. It also plays off another John DeLand story, which I'll tell you some other time about how he used his Star Trek fame to get his son into some foreign country when he emailed the president directly <laughs> claiming, that he's like, claiming that he was a god yeah as a god I, to I king. Mean, hey you know you gotta love it when world leaders are total nerds which is how it ultimately happened the crown prince of jordan at the time was uh now the king of jordan king abdullah uh big star trek fan wasn't allowed to have a line because he's not a member of sag yeah so he just was a background extra but definitely probably the biggest the biggest cameo ever and i mean this 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 show had professor hawking on it i mean well not this one but star trek so i like that they made him uh shave his sideburns down to a point the the federation pointed sideburns after the king of jordan is briefly on screen with garrett wang harry kim takes uh snarf snarf aside in the turbo lift and lays out the most harry kim story i think that you could have possibly written and that is the motherfucker was a newspaper nerd. He was on the student newspaper and he just thinks the Neelix needs to be chasing the news. He reveals that he, Harry Kim, like apparently intercepted communications about the Maquis as they formed and just like told everybody about it. And was like this fucking rebel that printed, you know, the hard truths because he, he has journalistic integrity. And it started to feel like a, a, what, do you remember Saved by the Bell? Yes. 
Do you remember how on Saved by the Bell every episode suddenly they were super interested in some other thing and they were very passionate about it for no reason? No, I just mostly watched for Kelly Kapowski. Yeah, it's fair. But that was a thing. That was a trope. Something they actually uh, made fun of eventually on South Park years later and, and so on. But suddenly Harry Kim has a journalism backstory and suddenly Snarf Snarf, he's... He has an ethical obligation to the news. Just out of fucking nowhere. That That's story great. about right. him leaking with this essentially classified intelligence about Maquis formation, a terror, terror cell, a Terran terrorist cell formation. Uh, I think that would have landed him in some pretty hot water. And this is from the same guy who didn't feel comfortable going to um, his boss, the Admiral, and telling him, by the way, I don't belong to this reality. I mean, a little disconnect here between the different versions of Harry Kim. What if Harry just made all this shit up? <laughs> yeah, that sounds right to me. Well, I mean, who's going to check, right? Like, who's going to fucking know? I'm going to start in my head a belief that Harry Kim is a pathological liar and that everybody knows it and just plays along because they want him to wrap it up as soon as possible. Went that I remember being in the womb playing to that like perfectly. Oh, so yeah, it's all coming together. Oh, you know, and then he actually doesn't have a girlfriend. It's like a a space Canadian girlfriend, which is why he was so shocked when he had one in the other reality. You know, I've got some ideas here, yeah. but uh, did you notice that in the turbo lift, someone sirred Neelix? I did. They're like, uh, you've got an incoming subspace communication. He's like, uh, yeah, throw it to my quarters. Okay, sir. Uh, what? Out of the entire ship, out of all the fucking Maquis, the one and only person who should never be sirred would be your your dirty resident space cat. The guy, the one person who's not wearing I've, a fucking uniform. The one person. Well, I, okay. Cass as well. I would put Cass and Neelix at the same point, but they're guests. They might be members of the crew, but they're very least civilians. Cass like, at least like uh, has a... Who's surring Neelix? Cass at least has like a clinical position and I would say is a little bit more respected. So maybe she could get it. But yeah, so uh, they get the subspace call. He takes it in his quarters. It is a... Much uglier Talaxian, which <laughs> makes me wonder is like Neelix just really good looking for his species, maybe because he like the most <laughs> darkest timeline. Uh, but they say, hey, dude, uh, I'm going to see you soon. And he's like, oh, buddy, I haven't seen you. Why? What do you mean you're going to see me soon? And he's like, well, uh, we're meeting to take on some cargo. Someone from your ship we've requested uh, to to bring them on board. Someone is jumping ship on Voyager. And that's where they finally uh, roll the credits and begin the Voyager intro on the, uh, you know, a pretty effective cliffhanger. Had you not read, of course, the the little capsule description from Netflix. I think it's pretty obvious, even if you hadn't been following along, who it's going to be. And sure enough, in the next scene, Janeway reveals. Wait, wait, wait. Is it obvious? Because. What if Jane was just being a bitch and she's like, you know what? Maybe we don't need a murderer just chilling out. Hey, find some of those space cats <laughs> to pawn uh, Chucky off onto. Yeah, we got this guy. He's a beta a real cuddly type. You're going to love him. Hey, don't yeah, leave him. Any... Read emotions. And yeah, he's uh, don't, quiet. Don't, but effective. don't leave him around any space pipes, though. Well, it's Tom. It's not it's not uh, their space murderer. Uh, it's Tom that's leaving. Neelix actually brings up kind of indirectly the the space Muppet Baby episode where, you know, he's like, I thought he was like dedicated to being a good crew member. Where is this coming from? 
and that this doesn't make sense to him. Janeway explains, hey, we tried to convince him not to go. He's insisted. Slaxine okay Convoy's happy to have a shit-hot pilot. And if that's what he wants to do, we're fine with that. So I have no idea what's going to happen at all in this episode or the story arc. And I think you've done a pretty good job off air of um, not connecting any dots here. I think a lot of the breadcrumb trails they start laying down in this were very good writing um, that I am scratching my head right alongside Neelix right in step. And a couple of the plot twists they throw in this come off very well. But when he gets news of, uh, like you just pointed out, when he gets news that Paris is leaving, he takes it right up to the captain with a, hey, what's going on? And I like the way that she kind of pulls Tuvok in. There's a lot of queer stuff going on, like just weird protocols being followed and them kind of violating the rhythm of the show as we've come to know. And at first I, I thought it was awkward writing and then later on it kind of explains itself. But you know, the one thing I've been harping on is continuity and how much I like it. And this episode is really all about continuity. And as you just pointed out, going back to the Space Muppet Baby um, episode, it covers a lot of strong conversation points and, and it does it well. I would say that its strength is that it does try and tie that in and explain everything that's been going on. Continuity is good. However, the plot is so cheesy. I mean, it's a delightful, fun cheesy, but it's also stupid. We get the next scene, which is Robert Duncan McNeil looking looking a little girthy. Looking a little velvety, man. What? Yeah, in his his velvet pajamas. Looks like Kurt's old uh, captain shirt with the wraparound belt almost. Yeah, the command wrap. Yeah. Uh, Except a little more more Bizcaz fry, you know, a little Bizcaz command wrap action it's exactly the kind of civilian gear i would imagine tom paris owning like what would tom want in his wardrobe something smooth silky comfortable for those late nights yeah it's that's a it's a tom paris original it's a tom paris top but it looks like those pants were some mom jeans he straight up stole out of janeway's cabin (laughs) hey you know Take one, take a pair out after you, you, you're you sneaking out of the captain's quarters, you know. Don't want to leave no pants on. We find out during this conversation, by the way, side note, they've been in space a year now. Mm. So we are well above the one a pay period space hazard level. Do the math for the people at home, because this is very important to me at what kind of chaotic hellhole, hellscape Voyager life is. So we calculated previously... I want to say 10 weeks ago or something uh, that based on the fact they had clearly identified they had been at space eight months and they had had what we could verify was 26 different uh, or was more than that. God, it was, I think maybe closer to 30 verifiable space hazards that they had encountered in that eight months that they were running into one, one, a pay period. <laughs> so before you could cash your non-existent Federation paycheck, you had to have a life or death situation that you had to get the ship out of. Now, in this scene, they're saying they've been at space a year. And using the same logic as before and discounting the couple episodes that weren't actually like ship-wide disasters, uh, disaster potential, and as well as last week's uh, installment since that really didn't have that element either. Um, you're, you're creeping above 
the once a pay period mark. You're you're like you've got those three hazard a month periods as well now, too. It's a busy ship. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of space tear and people out there, you know, we've got some guys catching up and making comments on the support group like, oh, I think it's funny you talk about Cthulhu horror and, you know, the ship drugging itself. They absolutely have nah, dog shit's real. Look how happy everybody shit is. is. OK, and it's not uh, Neelix's happy, fun TV show that's keeping everybody sane. It's it's Federation grade narcotics, man. They're on some psychotropic uh pleasure trying to keep everybody's head screwed on right but this conversation goes down between him and neelix tom says he's such a rebel that he's rebelling so hard he's a self-destructive rebel who's going to rebel elsewhere because he don't need nothing because he's just terrible you know it's it's this very uh egotistical way of tearing yourself down Mm -hmm. snarf snarf's trying to be genuine with him trying to be like hey you're not leaving because of me right we worked our beef out and tom's like no i'm not leaving because of you yeah we worked our beef out it's just i'm just gonna go rebel and be sad someplace else I'm so terrible and eventually snarf snarf gives him a very awkward hug i thought it was a solid dialogue exchange i think both these characters have uh, been able to play well off of each other and paris specifically you know he's got his defense shields up of uh oh, I'm going to play it cool and not really give you a straight answer on this. And, you know, there's comes to be a couple extra layers to what's going on behind the scenes here. Uh, and I think on both levels, both on the superficial, hey, get out of here, Neelix, I'm busy, and the uh, the actual hidden agenda, he does a good job of selling uncertainty, but not predictable uncertainty. I actually like Snarf Snarf for the most part in this episode. Uh, I didn't care for the other side of the conversation here. It just was a little, I don't know, weak. It just didn't seem to be able to have that same level of emotion in his performance that he did in the Muppet Space Muppet Baby episode. I'm going to go with, I, I felt shades of veiled scorn, and I found them convincing. But uh, again, you, you're playing with a full deck here, and you knew it was coming on, so maybe that's why it came. Yeah, it's probably why I'm like, yeah. Came across a little yeah. flimsy. But, uh, the next scene I will agree is good, which is Neelix giving a heartfelt monologue about Paris. And uh, it's replete with references of his prior heroism, of their original beefing, of how they came to no longer be beefing, how he considers them a friend. It's very well written, which is a rarity for the show. Uh, it's like they actually, you know, practiced this one and spoke it out loud because it sounded great and it's very well delivered on the part of Ethan Phillips that scene is definitely uh top notch and I want to point out that this heartfelt uh monologue that Neelix is giving is taking place on his tv show during a live broadcast uh while it's this montage of Paris doing his rounds through Voyager saying goodbye to everybody and having a you know, there's there's some good body language acting as, you know, he's saying his goodbyes. I, I don't know. Do you think they were kind of playing off the Tasha Yar situation? Star Trek, especially, you know, since Next Gen has been unique in that they got rid of a major cast member early in the episode or sorry, early in the series. It's left this lingering cr- uh, cloud that anybody could die. Any major character could leave. And you never really know. 
is this actually happening? It's hard for me to get into this headspace because I know what happens. I know that Tom Paris is on the show for the entire run. I know what character arcs still await him. You know that. And so I didn't feel any tension at all. I, I don't know if you did, since you still know that he's on the show after this, although you don't know exactly how it goes down. I think I've gotten good at, even though I know, just looking at something in the moment and saying, does this feel plausible if I was watching this uh, first run back in 90-whatever? I think they built up the tension good enough. We next have a briefing room discussion with the captain being very business forward. I guess that's kind of a big clue that something's weird because she's usually a little more emotional, conversational. Um, yeah, I don't want to say emotional. I mean, just conversational. And there's no room for that. There's no room for sentimentality on this boat. Uh, even when Harry's like, hey, what if Tom changes his mind and he wants to come back? Janeway's like, that ship has sailed. He's given no indication and we got to move on. And uh, while they're having the discussion, they get a call up from engineering from Jonas, the two faced secretly still, you know, secretly two faced to the crew out to the viewer that there are engine problems and that uh, Bolana's attention is required. And Neelix suddenly smitten by journalism wants to go where the giant explosive device is that is currently having issues and watch firsthand. And that's where we see a pretty slick sequence where there is the the very warp core issue that was intimated would occur in the prior episode. Right. So loyal watching uh, will reward you with memory that it was the Queen of Burn, Seska, who finally got on the horn with uh, Jonas, the betrayer, and say, look, we need to bring the engines down and you're with me or you're against me. So yeah, when this uh, chain of events start and Jonas is already plugged in, if you've been paying attention, you know that this is going to be sabotage and point in the episode and being someone who enjoyed the episode where you got to suspend disbelief. And in this one, it is Janeway's willingness to indulge Neelix and just on top of the free roam he already has, enjoyed for the you know past two seasons letting him insert himself into very critical situations in the biggest nerve center of the ship uh on this journalism pass card which is ridiculous but uh off he goes i want to point out this episode i had my wife sitting next to me on the couch and this is the first episode of voyager that she has sat through since probably caretaker she really got some good mileage at Jonas's expense with uh, <laughs> pointing out all sorts of goofy things about this guy. And I think she really summed it up well when she said, this guy looks like he is really into Star Trek. And I said, you know what? <laughs> that is perfect. Jonas does really look like your typical Star Trek ultra fan. Yeah, he does. And uh, he has the acting ability of your average Star Trek fan as well, in my opinion. Um, if there is a bleeding ulcer, an obvious sore thumb, a colorectal polyp on this episode, if you will, uh, it is the actor of Michael Jonas uh, attempting to not act like he is a shifty, terrible traitor who is out to kill everybody. They do him no favors there. Um, the I do love the continuity, just like we talked about the fact that they have this warp core accident 
that Jonas is essentially has a built-in alibi with how it plays out that he has these strategically perfect harmless plasma burns that he is treated for uh, and that you know that this was going to happen if you watched the prior episode and even more than that that you see the setup coming because what eventually rolls out is that Snarf Snarf gets called in by Bellana and Janeway after they spit some techno babble out as to where they can find the pieces to fix a blown out piece of the the warp coils as a consequence of the issue that occurred. And he says, oh, well, there just so happens to be near where we are, this planet that has the material we need, and they're willing to trade, so we should go there. And remembering back to why this is all happening in the first place, you're like, oh, that's the setup spot that the Queen of Burns was saying that she wanted to lure a ship to. That's That was a nice touch. That was well done. Uh, I know that that would probably be the thing that you appreciated the most. And in that same breath, acknowledging that if this was not a thwarted setup episode, the fact that there could have been another episode where Neelix would have had to go down to a planet surface to get some unobtainium to fix the ship's problem, knowing that we had yet another potential New Jack Neelix episode within reach, but not realized stings. I know. I know, dude. That code is forever going to remain in that closet. A glistening reminder of what could have been. The uh, the the warp engine problem they had down there, though, where they had to vent the stuff and ultimately there was uh, yet another uh, exploded console or console workplace injury. I don't really watch the people in the background that often, but that was the, the part where Jonas is laying there all burned up. And you see Torres and someone else like running urgently over in the background. There's just this elevator coming down real slow with a guy who could not give two shits about anything happening. <laughs> you know, what was really off putting about uh, that whole sequence to me was that in, in the sick bay when they're being treated, like one of the extras is being treated first. Yeah. And then Picardo just says this one can go back to duty. Yeah. The extra doesn't even get referred to by name or even directly. He gets treated like an object. Like you you may return automated units mm-hmm. to to your background walking around. And it's like, really? That didn't seem weird to everybody when you shot that? Like maybe we should like just have him go you can return to duty, like directly to him. It it didn't help that the actor was black. <laughs> so it was it's very it's very off-putting well i didn't pick up on that specific part but uh, all in all a good chain of events and it was a nice sweep pulling balana out of the staff meeting for a very quickly escalating situation and yeah as you put it um the 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 trap that seska's laying out and forcing voyager to have to go to a planet's surface so they could begin their attack it's a real strong play out of her book and a strong backbone for the rest of the episode just just as this info rolls out that they got a spot to go to to fix their warp coils, that's when they get buzzed by the other space cat. And he lets them know that the Kazon Nistrum have attacked. But in a very curious case, they did not destroy their ships. They did not steal their cargo. They took just one thing. Bad boy Tom. Maybe they just heard about Tom's shirt and they really wanted the shirt and Tom just happened to come along with a deal. I mean, let, let's not That's jump true. to conclusions here. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a really nice shirt. Expose, I don't think you want to expose that level of raw manliness by by having shirtless Tom Paris, you know, in this episode. So could be that that's all Seska was after. But we do actually get a good scene when uh, we cut to the Kazon vessel and Seska and Tom face each other down. And to my knowledge, this is the first and only time they have any real dialogue with each other in the whole show. It's a good scene. It's a better match to me because it's shifty motherfucker versus shifty motherfucker. Because Seska's big advantage when dealing with all of the Starfleet goons is that they're all Dudley do-rights. And while there's the shifty terrorists that she knew, they're all a bunch of thugs and murderers and killers. And the one with some brain power, that being Chakotay, uh, is so wrapped up in sexy time memories and betrayal and emotion that he's super compromised. Uh, Tom Paris is somebody that is probably the most dangerous operator on the vessel, as far as Seska is concerned, because it's somebody who understands what her game is. And the conversation they have, albeit relatively brief, belays the back and forth in such a way that they're on the same level, and that he is not fooled by her and she knows that her that he is not going to be able to be fooled and that he her only hope is basically to make the pragmatic suggestion that like you're on your own so you can either be on your own with us or you can be on your own and be tortured by us so pick a winner i think i'm getting a crush on seska watching her walk around the set as she's you know, going through the lines in this dialogue. I like how she's able to take everything from her character's experience pool. The fact she's got Chakotay's baby, that, you know, she's pulling out all this personal information. It's almost like watching her walking around with like toys that she's just kind of like, uh, like uh, the Olympics. What's it? Uh, rhythm gymnastics where they have like the long flag thing that they play with. Correct. Yep. That's her with dialogue in this scene, and she just plays with everything to its fullest potential. I really like the part where she just, you know, um, she levels with him. She's like, uh, you know, Tom, I never liked you, and uh, I don't think I'm going to like you, but you could be smart and, and play along and come out of this on top. Uh, or, you know, I could have these Kazon thugs come in here and just uh, jail fuck you and, and space you out the airlock. By the way, I teleport. People, I'm sorry, I transport my enemies out into the vacuum of space, so keep that in mind. Yeah, as you've discovered, as you personally witnessed, of course they leave Tom in the room. Of course Tom accesses the computer that's conveniently in the room. Star Trek villainesses love leaving prisoners in their quarters with the console open. Sela did the same shit to uh, Data, Picard, and... Uh, Spock yeah. in unification. <laughs> like The three motherfuckers you would never want to leave in any room of any kind together or they will find a way out. Um, By the way, computer man, I'm going to leave you with this computer so you guys can, you know, compute against me. And uh, sure enough, uh, Tom looks like he's prepared to be here because he gets a device out of his sleeve and starts monkeying with the computer. So something is up. Like, there's some shit going on. And Neelix is also putting together that some shit does not feel right. All of this situation with 
how the Kazon came to find Tom, he clearly links together in conversation with Cass. There's no way that he'd get snatched up like this unless they knew he was there and they were specifically after him. And the only way they would know that is if someone on Voyager told the Kazon, which that's when you finally get to the real, like, deep. We all kind of knew that's where this was going, but so we're finally there. Right. The uh, episode now turns into what I'm going to call Act Two, Inspector Neelix. Isn't it great that Neelix is a better detective character than fucking Tuvok? I know. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, now the space cat mess hall guy is going to go on his own police investigation. And I wanted to be pissed off about it. And I'm like, this feels better than Tuvok doing. I'm I'm strangely okay with this happening because it means I'm not dealing with Tuvok in a role that I know is painful to watch. Again, another credit to this, because my logical brain knows like Tuvok should be balls deep in this. And the fact he's not and they're like kind of giving Neelix this Mary Sue episode is is punching me in the face. But again, it somehow strangely was okay with me. Earnestness and a sort of ham handed way in which Neelix pursues the investigation is both charming and ridiculous. Uh, But I. It was fun to watch, unlike when they gave this over to Tuvok, and it was an absolute fucking chore to behold, because (laughs) Snarf Snarf has more dynamism to his character, even if it's often annoying. You're watching him on this journey, and it's more fun. And they do him a big favor by making him super competent at it. Yeah. And uh, he, he finds the breadcrumbs pretty quick that some shit has been going on and some shady conversations have been had. But this is where we get to my favorite part, which is when he enlists Mr. Jonas in helping him try and find out who the spy is. This whole sequence when Inspector Neelix steps forward, I'm thinking about it in my head and it is such a Jar Jar Binks setup. You've got this comical character that's just falling ass backward in the most Scooby-Doo method possible into a major mystery, right? And whereas in Star Wars, Jar Jar Binks was just miserable and shitty to be around. Here, they're they're doing the same Hanna-Barbera shit, uh, you know, going and asking Farmer Jonas if he knows about the monster back in the cornfield when Farmer Jonas is the monster in the cornfield. Um, and it. I, 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 the humor works out and uh you know <laughs> hannah barbera shit is the perfect way to describe what happens because literally fucking jonas is like snidely whiplash in these scenes he's like so clearly guilty and hiding shit like his expressions my my wife is like oh he's a teeth talker that's how you know he's <laughs> fucking guilty oh my god a number one sign and then it gets to the point where you see Jonas comically take a plasma torch after conveniently being left alone in, in all in, of uh, engineering engineering as something that happens fucking twice in this episode I know. twice. He hits a plasma torch and he activates it on screen. So, you know, that it's like lethal mm-hmm. and he's like doing that, like, like the creep behind me like, like from the SNL sketch. with his teeth out <laughs> eyes wide. And that's when Casey's like, what is this guy's deal? This guy looks like he was very excited to be on an episode of Star Trek 
and and she you know then started likening him to a true fan but yeah he's like like what is he gonna do with this thing he's gonna like just jam it into his spinal column and pull the trigger and open works like what the fuck he can take him he's like well you know lon jammed that other dude in the service locker that worked out real well i'll just kill this dude here in uh engineering because clearly the fucking security cameras don't record murders what's the worst that could happen <laughs> This is Murder Town. This is the warp core. We have ways. And then even more comically, as he's like, like Lonely Island, <laughs> you know, you do the creep. The creep. Uh, right, you do yeah, the, yeah. Like he's like That's exa- yeah, bringing yeah, his knees SNL up sketch. and creeping up behind Neelix uh, while Neelix is mucking around in some fucking um, sensor log files that for whatever reason he's allowed to go into. But whatever. The doctor. Uh, you know, in his AI stubbornness of why am I not being featured when you said I would be featured? I, the the doctor in this is, I guess he's kind of got like a Milton vibe from Office Space. Like uh, Deborah was allowed to listen to her music at a reasonable level, and I said I should be able to listen to mine at a reasonable level. He pops up on the screen right in front of Neelix's face. Like, uh, why am I not on TV? <laughs> in case he's like, does he not see the guy with the gun to the back of this cat guy's head? <laughs> Ah, Mr. Jonas, I see you're going to uh, cut uh, Neelix's occipital lobes out. Uh, congratulations. I've wished death on him as well. Uh, it's so awesome to watch. It's so cartoonish. Hannah Barbarish is from Scooby-Doo shit. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's beautiful. It, it's it's beautiful. This this ray is beautiful. Oh, God. Um, uh, After this is when... You know, Snarf Snarf takes his evidence to Tuvok is to say, hey, listen, there's been some situations where we've got some suspiciously deleted communication logs. It's the only logs on the ship that have been deleted. And Tuvok seems super disinterested for some reason and really tries to diminish and demean the work he's done. But then he suddenly tries to steal jurisdiction on our on on Inspector Neelix. And take the investigation away, which of course means this space cat's going rogue. This is a good two box scene. Him being a complete bitch about this and, you know, dismissing some solid evidence. It doesn't feel out of character from what we've seen as, as, uh, you know, two box pride and hubris. Like if he's not the one who's coming up with something then it doesn't matter. But he's still a protocol follower and a stickler for the rules. So, okay, you know, I'm not going to look the other way and I am going to take this. And uh, by the way, you're not allowed to touch this anymore. So stay the fuck out. It fits his character. I thought the scene worked. Yeah, the scene worked because, as you said, Vulcan arrogance. We've seen it before and we've seen how annoyed he gets with Neelix to the point where when given the opportunity, he decided to create a holographic version of Neelix that he could then murder. <laughs> so I buy it. Yeah, I buy it. However, rogue inspector Neelix is not to be deterred. He goes back to engineering and this time he draws Hogan as his uh, little helper in engineering uh, who quickly helps him figure out how it is that Jonas unknown to them at this point still was secretly communicating with the Kazon as, as Jonas very not subtly watches in the background as they uncover his crimes. His <laughs> like, face while they're going through this, it's like they're talking about what 
Jonas's sister's butthole tastes like. It's just this look <laughs> of like, I I want to make them stop, but I, I can't let them know I'm eavesdropping about a conversation about my sister's butt. Um, <laughs> it's comical. I like it. It works well. Hogan's Hogan's been getting some good screen time on this. Do we get him outside of season two? Uh, he sticks around for the rest of the season. He uh, he doesn't just vanish. You'll see what happens to him. Well, I almost feel like Jonas and um, Hogan have been getting like more screen time than Chakotay lately, which isn't an awful thing. Yeah, and more than than Harry Kim, really. It's improvement. Addition by subtraction. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we find out as Neilis continues his rogue investigations as he follows the trail to where all of these secret communiques were sent from, uh, was that he goes uh, to a locked laptop and then he uh, he repeats the same engineering authorization code that Hogan used in the prior scene, and it worked for him too. Which means that apparently on the fucking Starship Voyager, the cutting edge... Space hot rod, intrepid class, neural gel USS packs. Voyager with neural gel packs and like sweet goes 9.9995 warp drive and all of its torpedoes and phasers that you can just be some fucking jamoke. And as long as you heard the goddamn passcodes from someone else, you can just access shit and unlock shit on this ship. What the actual fuck? <laughs> Do you remember when Data goes crazy because Soong turns on his uh, return home button and he hijacks Absolutely. the Enterprise? And once he yes. releases poison gas on the bridge, he locks all the doors and then he locks all the command codes down with like Picard, Alpha, Omega, like 15 or 16 digits. And he's doing it in Patrick Stewart's voice because the computer needs to hear the fucking command codes in the authorized user's voice. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Not on Voyager. <sighs> well, it was supposed to be Paris. It was supposed to be Paris's quarters. Oh, so the, no one's living there anymore. Well, I still think so they should have been locked down until they could get in there with a blowtorch and <laughs> get all the space STDs burned out of the carpet. Don't turn a fucking black light in there unless you want <laughs> to be absolutely scarred for life. God, I hope it's blood. Neelix broadcasts the next day uh, the evidence he found, which is that Tom Paris was the traitor. Janeway is watching and he she is not pleased. Let's talk real <laughs> at this revelation. This. Being in a leadership position at work, morale is a very funny thing. And when you have, you know, the press or whatever in a closed military environment like Shit like this needs to be a real concern. Like she gave Neelix the green light on a hokey little juggling variety hour. Not, mm -hmm. hey, uh, follow Harry Kim's ridiculous lies about breaking the next um, Watergate scandal outside of my purvey. Like that seems kind of brigable levels of uh, insubordination in my book. But no, she she's. Uh, snatches him up pulls him into a ready room meeting and it's her and uh tuvok and neelix and do they bring chakotay in on that one too yeah so chakotay's there 
And it's clear very quickly that there is something that Janeway and Tuvok know, but that's somehow Chakotay has been left out. What Janeway lays out is that Neelix has been on something, but they were already kind of aware of it. And that is that there is a spy on the ship. And some time ago, Tuvok detected a non-authorized transmission towards the Kazon, but they couldn't trace who it was. So in order to uncover the traitor, they pulled uh, a classic mole hunt. And Tom Paris is actually operating as a clandestine agent. And everything that he did was faked to make it appear that he was a malcontent. So the Kazan would hear about it from the traitor and therefore be interested in maybe picking him up or using him which would then allow him to work from the Kazon ship to see who was contacting them. This is not something Chakotay was aware of, and he quickly becomes angry, upset Chakotay at the revelation. He is very pissed. I thought this was fucking awesome. This is weeks now that I've been complaining about how uncharacteristic it is that Tom is developing this grudge with being in Starfleet and specifically picking these fights with Chakotay and how out of character and against all the other continuity that we had established up to this point. So seeing that this has been a multi-story arc, not just about a traitor and Seska, but tying in all of his insubordination to part of a greater picture is fucking awesome. And uh, it was a good out of left field moment for me. I liked it. And I liked the fact that Robert Beltrain out of character did not like this and seemed to be just as salty with Chakotay that Janeway and Tuvok would would exclude him. But, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You've had tons of problems out of these fucking Maquis. And I think that from an in-character justification standpoint, yeah, absolutely consider Chakotay a potential problem. That's his lover. She's got his kid, apparently. Uh, he He should be, you know, one of the prime suspects in this entire thing. Uh, it's completely justified that he was kept out of the loop. And even though they say, hey, you know, we just need you to have a convincing reaction to when he shoved you down or whatever. The the bigger issue there is, hey, you're you're the lead mercenary murderer psychopath of these mercenary murderer psychopath Maquis. Yeah, everybody's under the magnifying glass. They seem to suggest they didn't suspect him so much as didn't want to hit, put him in a position where he was hunting for one of his own people. Uh, but I do love that once again, it's Tuvok who's who's with like a stone cold G just stuffing Chakotay, like the animosity between the two that we've seen throughout the season is another point of continuity. Um, and that Tuvok is just, well, that was my fucking idea. Yeah. And I was right. It's so, a big fucking uh, eat it. It's a big it is. And it feels good I, again. And, you know, we can look the other way just because Inspector Neelix is more fun than regular Neelix, although not even half as fun as new Jack Neelix, who <laughs> we could create an, a, a continuum of Neelixes of the different varieties of Neelix and where they rate. He's like okay, a chart. I'm going to do this now. This is happening. It's like, it's like uh, Batman action figures. There's just fucking crazy action figures where he's got neon green armor and shoots a missile off his shoulder. Like that was never in the comics, but it exists in the toy line. And that's every night Neelix. That's, you know, not discount African King Neelix is a new, new action figure to play with. Um, 
I'm surprised they're letting him sit in on like the most top secret shit that Voyager has going down. But they say, all right, you're already in this thing. Um, the jig is up. You know what's going on. We're going to need you to keep going on this because at this point, uh, now that you've outed Paris as a, a traitor, the mole is going to get comfortable and rest back on his laurels. And we don't want that. We want him to have to reach out and tip his hand. So go back out there and keep doing your thing. Parallel to this, Tom has now figured out that Hogan is the uh, the mole by using the little techno gizmo that he has brought onto the ship, uh, which apparently Seska immediately detects and brings a couple of her goons to uh, subsequently drag Tom off to No-No Land to torture by getting punched in the face. Mm-hmm. But that's when Tom Paris has probably his most epic two to three minutes that he's had on the show. Because he subsequently fights and disarms both of his attackers, evades all of the Kazon while running through the poorly draped rust bucket jalopy ship, including straight gacking at least two guys, one with a point blank shot after rustling on the ground with the with the with the Kazon rifle, hijacks a shuttle and then beats feet back to Voyager. It's it's Tom Paris getting it all done here for the viewer. So let's peel the curtain back. This episode was supposed to be shot entirely from Neelix's camera's point of view as he discovers this conspiracy. And it's at the last minute they're like, we come out of this scenario with Tom still feeling very dirty and duplicitous, and we need to make him come out feeling something like a hero. So they I think they actually go back and refilm all of this grand escape stuff. And despite the fact it's totally shoehorned in here, uh, it still comes off as pretty cool. It's typical 90s. You know, the good guy doesn't even have a hair out of place. And yeah, he he murders a couple of dudes uh, and just gets out completely unscathed. Uh, but you know what? It's Star Trek. It's par for the course. I'll take it. So right now, uh, Neelix is planting seeds that he's still on the case of trying to figure out who's responsible for uh uh sending the messages to the Kazon uh when just so happens that he and Jonas are once again the only people in engineering and it happens to be exactly when Tom Paris has got an angry Kazon ship behind him as he makes his way for Voyager and so what we get is a incredibly ludicrous, ridiculous, insane ending, which goes like this. Neelix watches and begins to narrate as Jonas clearly is sabotaging the ship and does not intervene. He just like narrates, hey, you're not doing the thing you're supposed to do. Hey, now you're fucking with the weapons. Hey, you're like putting up a force field. What is wrong with you? Paris doesn't tell the ship that Jonas is the traitor until like his third or fourth revelation from the shuttle. Yeah. Like he like waits like, Oh yeah. The guy you sent me to go find out. It's the one guy who's in engineering right now. You should, you should get on to that. Be fair. You should work on that. To be fair. Tom Paris did just murder two sentient life forms. I'm going to cut him some slack and not be in Johnny on the spot with all the info. It, it's a it's a rough day for old Tom. He's he's dealing with some shit. OK, fair enough. But again, 
when Jonas has finally had enough of Snarf Snarf, he does the most comical shit possible and literally backhands him into sudden unconsciousness. He one blow. This is Jonas has a pimp stroke that I have never seen before. Either Talaxians have a glass jaw or Jonas prior to being part of the Maquis was like pimp of the year. And he knocks Neelix the fuck out with, with a, just the cleanest backhand. Uh, Chakotay ain't got shit on this guy for sucker punches. Yeah, Jonas's pimp slap is Hall of Fame material because it gets elevation. Uh, it gets distance. Mm-hmm. It completely incapacitates. I mean, when they teach the pimp slap, this is this is really the gold standard. He's a Babe Ruth of pimps. Yes, and he just lets it fly and then immediately takes his comm badge off and Neelix's comm badge off, which, of course, means magically now they can't be teleported, I which I'm sure you loved. <laughs> Thank you for saying that so I don't have to get into it. Hey, I got you. I'm here for you. Yeah, I got you. And uh, it's because uh, Bellana wasn't behind the transporter pad. That that's why she always has to go down because every other one of these transporter operators is just a fucking moron. So clearly, uh, it's all up to Neelix to solve the problem and save the day. He creeps up behind Jonas after recovering from such a hearty pimp slap with a, a pipe, with a uh, with a suitor class pipe. He goes, <laughs> he, he goes for a kneecap. He gets a knee, and then they have. An absolutely terrible cat fight on Literally. an upper level walkway. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of pushing and shoving. It's not a lot going on. They're like shoving each other in the consoles and shit. And then eventually a magical green doorway into death plasma to opens hell. conveniently. It's a hell. It's space hell. It's a hell mouth. It's a space hell mouth. <laughs> Straight to hell. Just who happens to to be in this this spot conveniently under a a railing that Jonas then inexplicably charges at and gets judo thrown into and is immediately evaporated. I want to point out. I want to point out that the space hell mouth that opens up opens up exactly where all of the main cast always stands in engineering. This is like the worst possible place to ever have a potentially faulty plasma thing like if you want to kill your boss if you want to kill everybody that's where you're gonna put this thing side note this this comical little cat fight they get in actually fucked the uh the actor at jonas up pretty good like he gets like ripped open on a loose nail and some other stuff like he racks up a pretty good even though he's not even the stunt man in this thing like read the memory alpha like he gets some bruised ribs and some other stuff i will yeah I will. I will. It, well, I'm sorry you got hurt for what turned out to be a real shitty fight. <laughs> it was kind of dumb looking. Uh, but his death is immediate. He gets judo thrown off by Neelix and is evaporated into nothingness and uh, is never spoken of again. Aside from Neelix dropping a CSI Miami. Well, Mr. Jonas wasn't so lucky, but I've saved the ship. Because, of course, Neelix immediately righted all the wrongs that Jonas did. Tom Paris is saved from certain death at the hands of the Kazon. Uh, Voyager is quickly able to disable the Kazon vessel because it's like, you know, it's weapons that it can't possibly handle. And that's it. 
The day is done. This traitor was found. The traitor was very conveniently killed, so there can be no difficult <laughs> moral quandaries as to what to do with him. He was evaporated into space hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wrap on a final homeroom video of Tom back in uniform, explaining that, uh, yeah, this is all a ruse. Sorry I was an asshole to everybody, especially Commander Jacote, but I really enjoyed being an asshole to Commander Jacote. So actually, it's funny. It's a real jolly laugh. Uh, I think after this episode, they're definitely going to have to hang up between this and the lawn episode. They're going to need to sign up an engineer. It says uh, horseplay is forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> or or just like really like instead of like a, a phasers being behind like a like a special armory case, it's just pipes, you yeah. know? <laughs> Hey, you know what? Pipes, in case of boarding. In case of boarding. Like, no. In case of, look, man, Borg have uh, yeah. shielding against favors, phasers. A pipe to the back of the head is exactly what you want to keep that Borg threat at bay. Um, yeah, it's kind of a comical ending. I think there's some very real deep places they could have gone, like a scene between Hogan and maybe uh, Balana or Chakotay or some of the other Maquis remnant where they reflect on the fact that, like, there's been a lot of Maquis fuck-ups lately, including murder and treason. Um, but I I don't think it was really necessary. I think the the episode wraps well for what it was. And that was some very enjoyable plot twists for me. Some excellent use of uh, in-season uh, callbacks. Some great Seska scenes. And... Uh, a baffling Inspector Neelix that did not make me want to kill myself. I will grant that the episode had enjoyable parts for sure. The uh, Seska scene with Tom was a highlight. Mm. Uh, the Neelix emotional recap on Paris was a highlight, uh, but it was almost farcical <laughs> when it got to the Inspector Neelix stuff. Not unenjoyable in fact it was quite enjoyable i laughed my ass off i was very engaged but uh it it was really just cheesy and campy and uh fun but stupid i'm gonna say this wasn't a great star trek episode but i'm gonna say that this was great tv because of the entertainment value that i i got out of it and it certainly made for an excellent episode for podcasting even though i only had roughly one page of notes it was uh very easy to talk about what goes on here and again another episode that i feel like they really crammed a lot of stuff into only 45 minutes i would say that i enjoyed this a great deal more than what we watched last week uh from the perspective that uh, as much as i liked that episode it it was it was an interesting watch. It was a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. but man, I don't know how it sounded to everybody that listened to the podcast. It was difficult to talk about. It was difficult to be entertaining to talk about. Yeah, you know, like oh, you have these heartfelt emotional scenes. Like what what fart joke do I put in here? <laughs> and it it was almost a relief. Be like, oh, I can I know how to make fun of this one. Oh, thank Jesus. Oh, woo, dodge the bullet. All right. Yeah, right. Let's inspect Neelix. Let's do this. So, oh, we, we've snaggly whiplash villain. Got it. Teeth talking. Check. Jerry. Pipes that are deadly <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> oh, we got to reset the, uh, you know, it's been X many workdays since we've had a workplace uh, pipe 
weapon injury. <laughs> clubbing, a clubbing. Some bashing damage. Uh, so Jerry, what's her name? Jerry. Jerry Taylor. Jerry Taylor. I, I read these these uh, episode notes. I just don't think she belongs in the Star Trek universe, man. Like she's like, uh, you know, I really enjoyed all the Neelix newspaper stuff. And I was annoyed that, you know, we had all this Paris intrigue. And it's like, what what do you want this show to be like? fucking a, a garfield comic strip like it's just a head scratcher where her priorities are on most of the stuff that uh she has well, i mean we've seen some of her fingerprints on some of the worst episodes we've watched like persistence of vision yeah Ugh, you remember that like that was her jam like and i i brought up then she attempted to bring a certain perspective and appeal to a viewer that didn't watch star trek and so when those two things combined, it became kind of bad. It's like a casual crochet viewpoint. It's tough to to quite put a finger on the right way to describe it, but uh, she's definitely a weak link amongst the three executive producers in my in my opinion. So her her hot takes are always eye rollers to me. Yeah. You got anything else to say in uh, relation to investigation? I think I've said quite enough. Um, goodbye, Crewman Jonas. You were with us too brief a time. It's a shame you didn't get to murder the space cat, but good luck in space hell. <laughs> he can come back. It'll be like Buffy. There you go. The musical episode and everything. What do we got next? Coming up next. I see a picture of uh, the doctor and he's huddled in the corner, traumatized, holding a little baby. This is going to be season two, episode 21, Deadlock, a spatial, quote unquote, spatial scission causes Voyager to become duplicated. And one of the ships is under heavy attack from the Vidians, while the other remains impervious. This is a real batshit episode, and I have not rewatched this one, and I meant to. So I'm looking forward to this. It sounds pretty fucking sweet. We've actually had discussions before about, you know, Voyager getting duplicated and the potential for crew, you know, to talk to the other crews, work together as a big thing, have duplicate members coming over to replenish. I, I think this has got some cool potential. And uh, the Vidians have recently um, pulled themselves out of the gutter, courtesy of Dr. Pell. So let's see what happens there. There is all kinds of weird shit that happens here. And uh, yeah, this will be a good podcast, my friend. I guarantee you. Well, I got some more good news for you. I got a oh, okay. uh, rule of acquisition I think we can make fit here. Oh, lay it on me. Given that uh, Seska and Chakotay had their their relationship and there was some, not only the physical relationship there, but uh, I don't know some deeper bonds and Tom Paris knowing better than to get mixed up with Seska rule of acquisition. Number one twelve: never have sex with the boss's sister. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Applicable. Yeah. Applicable. Well, this has been Vija please a hateful voyage with the Delta quadrant. Uh, I am Joseph. And I'm still sick. Thanks for making it through it, Peter. Uh, thank you for listening. You can, Email us at VJPlease at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at VJPlease. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, VJPlease. And join the VJPlease Trauma Support Group on Facebook, 
would love to hear from you. By the thanks for listening. By the time you guys hear this out there in Radioland, Joe will even be out of Facebook jail and able to interact with us again. I know. I can't wait. Yeah. All right. See you guys then. Peace. <laughs>